I'm Ayelet Marinovich, your host. Welcome back to Strength in Words, a family enrichment program for parents, caregivers, and infants and toddlers of all developmental levels. Each week we get together to sing a few songs, discuss some ideas for play, and outline some insight about early development. This series is time for you to be together and to feel like you're doing something good for and with your baby, small child, or multiple young children. Please follow your child's lead. I am a speech and language pathologist, and I specialize in work with very young children, but this is not to be confused with speech therapy. This is what I call family enrichment. All suggested activities are meant to be enjoyed by your baby under close adult supervision. For a more complete story of Strength in Words, please listen to my introduction episode or visit my website, strengthinwords.com. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you here today. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. It's nice to see you here. We can start by saying hello to the people who are with us. Hello to Ayalet. Hello to the singers. Hello, 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 hello. Hello to the babies. Hello to the toddlers. Hello, hello, hello. Hello to the children. Hello to the grown-ups. Hello, 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 hello. Hello to your friends. Hello to my friends. Hello, hello, hello. Since I don't know your name, I'll help you sing the song and you can fill it in. Ready? Hello to your child's name. Hello to your name. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Today we have a special guest on the show, Christy Kiley, a pediatric occupational therapist and prolific blogger. So let's give her a special welcome. Hello to Christy, hello to our bodies, hello, 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 hello. Hello to our new friends, hello to our old friends, hello, hello, hello. One last time, hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here today. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here. Today, I have a very special guest, Christy Kylie, pediatric occupational therapist and creator of Mama OT or MamaOT.com, one of my own go to blogs for activities and information about infant and toddler development. Christy, I'm so happy to have you on Strength in Words. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, why don't you give us just a little bit of background about what your focus has been as an occupational therapist? And I think that you bring sort of a unique perspective because you started practicing in your field right around the same time as you became a mother. As well. Yeah, sure. So, I graduated OT school, took the boards. I was seven and a half or eight months pregnant when I took my board exams. Had my first little baby a couple weeks after that. Did kind of a traditional maternity leave for three months and then started my first job as an OT when he was three months and one day old. So I was very sleep deprived and I was a new (laughs) therapist. I was a new mom. I would not recommend starting both those things at the same time. Yeah, I tend to be (laughs) things 
kind of non-traditional ways. So it worked for me. So I started out in my first job. I was working in pediatrics. I became an OT because I wanted to be in pediatrics. That's always what I wanted to do. So my first job, I would say my caseload was about 80% in home with birth to three and 20% in the clinic with toddlers and preschoolers and school-age kids. Mm -hmm. So that's how I got started. And as I was learning to become a mom and early intervention OT at the same time, Mm -hmm. it was really interesting being able to apply what I was learning as a mom into my work as an OT and what I was learning as an early intervention OT into my time with my baby. Um, But then also I was only working three days a week. So I was with Mm -hmm. him the majority of the week while playing with him at home. I tend to be kind of a creative and resourceful person. And so I would find things that were fun for him to do. And I had several babies on my caseload. And so I was able to apply that in a therapeutic manner to the families and the babies I was working with. And it seemed to go over really well. And so that was the perfect combination and crossover at that point. So once I started to get my feet under me a little bit, my little boy was about six or seven months old. And I was sharing this information with the I was working with. I would share things on Facebook. And I was like, man, I need to get this information out to more people. Like every new parent needs to know about these things, these tips and these tricks that come from an OT perspective, but are like mom tested. And so, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, they actually work people. You need to know about it. You know, you could get all your problems solved. Not, not really, not all of them. A but, lot, um, a lot of really good information. <laughs> yeah, and I think the families I worked with really appreciated the fact that this was my true, real, honest perspective. They all knew that I had a newborn also, and mm-hmm. so that helped build rapport and trust. Mm-hmm. But they were able to understand, I'm actually going through this with you and I'm actually trying this, and I'm learning about these things alongside you, but mm-hmm. I have a different perspective that I'm able to share to determine whether it's actually a good thing or a bad thing or a gimmick. Because of your training as an occupational OT therapist. training. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even though I was new, I, it's still just a different perspective than what your typical new parent would have. Not that I had all the answers as a new parent. I definitely no. made, you know, a lot of my own mistakes. <laughs> and so it just kind of made sense. Like, oh, I need to start a blog. This is what I need to do. The first real post that I published was seven tips for tummy time for making it less miserable. And to this day, four and a half years later, it's still one of my top 10 posts mm. because it's a, a real problem that people experience and they want help with it. And the information in that post has helped real people and they share it. And that's awesome. Yes. That was that was the whole point. So can you give our listeners some basic information about the role of an occupational therapist who works with infants and toddlers? Because I think in general, a lot of people have sort of difficulty understanding the term occupational therapist and they can't imagine what an OT really does with a baby, right? The baby's occupation is to be a baby. Right. So what exactly. what is an OT in the early years? So when you think of occupational therapy, you're thinking of the term occupation, which can be interpreted as a job or what you do for work. And so we think of, well, what are the, the jobs of daily living that a baby has to do? or a toddler has to do. Sometimes they involve developmental milestones. Sometimes they involve family support and family interaction. So we think of things like being able to participate and play at an appropriate or functional way. We think of being able to participate in feeding and in mealtimes. We think about sleeping is an important occupation of everybody, but especially for babies because it supports so much of their growth and development. So things like that. One important occupation of a baby is to be able to 
interact with other people socially. We don't target the speech and language development like a speech and language therapist would, but we support it more from an occupation and participation sort of um, way with promoting interaction, bringing in those motor skills and the sensory component and the social skills all kind of together so they can participate in their social interactions during the day. Mm -hmm. So you think of what are the jobs of daily living for a baby? Playtime, feeding time, sleeping time, social interaction those sorts of things. So what, I mean, I think you sort of hit upon this, but what parts of a young child's development really fall under the scope? As as you said, sleeping, Mm -hmm. playing, and sort of Mm -hmm. the positioning and the ability to be able to play and engage with, say, play objects. So you mentioned a little bit about the ability to experience things sensorially or from a sensory perspective. And I think one of the terms that gets used so often these days, and especially in relation to the role of an occupational therapist, whether that's early years or in preschool or school age children, is the term sensory processing or sensory integration. And I think our listeners would be really interested to have your explanation of really about what that term means from a theoretical and a practical standpoint. So one way I like to explain sensory processing that parents seem to appreciate is that we constantly have sensory input coming at us from our environment and then also sensory input that occurs within our body. And so we have to take sensory information that we receive from outside of our body and inside of our body and be able to make sense of it so that we can use it to participate in our daily activities. So sensory information coming from the outside. So we have the auditory information, we have smells, we have tastes, we have vision, and then we have what we can feel through our skin, the tactile image. So those are kind of the classic senses that we think about, that we learn about as kids. And then the two that come from inside of our body, vestibular, being a fancy word for balance and motion, located in our inner ear. And then proprioception, which is that sense of body awareness, what our limbs are doing in relation to each other in order to be able to navigate through our environment. So those seven senses are typically the seven that we're talking about as occupational therapists when we're talking about sensory processing. And so during our day-to-day, we have to be able to take in all of that information from those different channels and organize it, make sense of it so that we can use it. Examples would include knowing how much force to use when you're opening the refrigerator. You know, you have to be able to see it, feel it with your skin, feel it with your muscles, know how far you are away from it and then appropriately pull it open. We open the refrigerator maybe a dozen times a day or more, and that's such a basic thing, but you don't realize how much sensory integration or sensory processing Mm. has to go into that simple act in order to successfully operate the refrigerator. What might the difficulty with sensory integration or processing look like in an infant or toddler? So for a baby, if their nervous system's having a hard time processing the sensory information coming from their environment or from their body they may be overly sensitive to touch so they may be the type of baby that doesn't like to be held by strangers even held by mom they may not like to be bounced to be soothed or rocked to be soothed because they're too sensitive to movement they may be extremely sensitive to light and so they cry and fuss whenever the lights are turned on if they're taken outside if the windows are open and um, those would be more like sensitivities to sensory input one way that you can think about the way that sensory processing is divided up is that some sensory channels may have a tendency to over respond so they might be Mm. very sensitive to or even avoidant of certain types of sensory input then you might have other sensory channels that might be sensory under responsive Mm. so they need more input in order to really feel 
secure or to really activate what's needed to respond to the environment. And then you have your sensory seekers who actively seek out because they need more of that input to really feel regulated and secure. So if we go back to the example of the baby, you may have a baby who's under responsive to tactile input either on their skin or maybe even in their mouth. And so that might affect the ability to develop, let's say, feeding skills, Mm. because if they're under responsive from a sensory perspective in their mouth, they are not going to be able to as skillfully sense what's going on in their mouth when they're trying to deal with a nipple they're drinking from or trying to learn to bite from a cracker or even trying to learn to drink from a cup. So that would be an under-responsive example. So you have babies that might appear more sensitive to certain types of input. You have babies that might appear to seek out or be under-responsive to other types of input. And it can be complicated to determine whether something truly is a sensory challenge for a little one because each sensory system can respond in its own way. You can have one system, like your tactile system, that's over-responsive or too sensitive, while you may have another system that is under-responsive or seeking, like with auditory. So they don't want to be touched, but they love those loud noises. They love the sound of the toy, you know, making the noise over and over and over, and they want to hit that button over and over and over. So it's it's not always clear-cut as to whether a child's challenge in the first year is due to sensory issues. I, I think a really common one that we'll see in toddlers a lot, too, is that tactile defensiveness. They don't like to touch things that feel messy. They get irritated by clothing tags. They avoid participating in sort of typical early childhood activities that are great for their development, like running around on the grass barefoot, like Mm. playing with Play-Doh, like finger painting. And so that's one that is pretty commonly seen um, that we'll get referrals for as those kiddos with more of the tactile defensiveness Mm. in those toddler years. What are some of the reasons why a child might have difficulty with sensory processing? I realize that's a giant question, but some of the... Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, at this point in the research, there hasn't been anything that's been nailed down, like there's a certain chromosome or, you know, marker in the genetic code or anything like that. It does, just based on, you know, our observation and some sort of still developing research, there does appear to be a genetic component Mm. or a hereditary component. Family members often are more likely to have challenges with that sensory processing as Mm. compared to someone who doesn't have a that have that in their family tree mm-hmm. but like I said at this point it hasn't been really nailed down as to whether there's something specific that causes it mm-hmm. I mean there's so many theories about what could contribute to that and certainly sure. we know from sensory deprivation environments like orphanages where kids are you know kept in a crib their whole first three years or even their first year and they're not exposed to the world sensory deprivation can definitely contribute to that and Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of research in that area but yeah it's tricky it's all based on the nervous system's ability to process and integrate that sensory information and as to what specifically causes it I don't know that we know that yet I think a lot of parents and caregivers would love to know whether a child who's exhibiting issues with sensory integration or tactile defensiveness, like you said, whether that's Mm -hmm. always a part of a larger issue, does that mean that the child has autism, for instance? Does that mean that the child is going to have issues with learning down the line? Can you give us some insight about what this might imply? Sure. In the last couple of years, there's been some really interesting groundbreaking research through the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, 
and they've been doing neuroimaging studies to get a better understanding of whether sensory processing disorder is something that can occur on its own or if it's something that always has to occur with other diagnoses like autism or fragile X syndrome or things like that. And the research is really interesting. They really are finding that true sensory processing disorder looks different in the brain than the way that kids with autism process sensory information or the way that kids with ADHD process sensory information. So that's kind of the long answer. The short answer would be just because your child's demonstrating sensory symptoms doesn't necessarily mean that they also have autism or some other big scary diagnosis. And obviously, like you said, an occupational therapist who works with young children is someone who might work with a child with sensory issues. So what are some of your, say, top three sensory activities that you might do with any child Mm -hmm. and or with a child with sensory processing issues? So we, we talk about like the big three sensory systems being the vestibular system, that sort of balance and motion system, um, the proprioceptive system being that input to the muscles and the joints, and then tactile system. So we kind of call those the big three. I would say the first sort of main sensory type of activity that's great for all kids is what we would call like heavy work. And that's that proprioceptive system. So you think of literally heavy work, moving and pushing things that are heavy, anything that's going to give some nice heavy input into those muscles and joints. So it can be helping to move chairs out from under the kitchen table so you can sweep. It can be, you know, helping to push the laundry basket down the hallway to and from the laundry room. It can be, if it's an older child, you know, helping to mow the lawn or rake the leaves. Those are all, you know, boring chores, but any play activities (laughs) too that involve heavy work crawling through a tunnel crawling through like a cave of pillows that are the parent is kind of nicely you know pushing down on them hanging on the bars at the park climbing all of those things involve heavy work and so that's often one of the first go-tos because heavy work tends to be very um, regulating and organizing for kids Mm. especially kids that have a lot of energy or maybe who have other true sensory processing challenges, it tends to help really calm and organize overall. So that's that heavy work of that proprioceptive system. I would say the second one would be movement, you know, vestibular. Movement for some kids can be very alerting and disorganizing. Mm. So that's why I don't, I wouldn't typically recommend it just to any parent first, because if I don't know how sensitive their kiddo is to movement. I'm not going to just tell them to go spin them on the swing at the park. But, you know, swinging at the park, riding your bike, jumping on a trampoline, those are all great typical vestibular activities. For a kiddo who has maybe some vestibular challenges, the parent would need to work closely with the OT to make sure that they're providing the right type and amount and duration of vestibular input. But movement is how kids learn. You know, it's how they grow. It's how they develop. So... That's a big one. And then tactile, that third one, just being able to explore and be exposed to experiences. Like I said earlier, whether it's running barefoot on the grass or playing in the sandbox or playing with a bucket of beans, all of those are great tactile experiences that actually can also help develop the fine motor system, the fine motor development. As you get more tactile input into those hands, then your skin on your hands starts to learn to differentiate and discriminate. Oh, that one feels soft. Oh, that one feels hard. Oh, that one's kind of cold. I should hold that crayon on this side instead of this side because this part is slippery, you know, things like that. So the, again, that's the long answer. The short answer being that heavy work, the movement and the tactile experiences. That's great. Cause I think 
When we think about sensory play, I think most of the go-to understanding of that is beans or water play or something. Yeah. Uh Um, But it's really nice to hear you talk about the other two areas, which are Mm -hmm. such important areas of of sensory processing. That's awesome. Thank you. Do you have any tips for parents that you would like to share about looking at sensory processing and giving sensory type experiences with infants and toddlers? Yeah. One of my main tips for parents is always that we can embed or incorporate so much therapeutic value into the day-to-day activities that we do each and every day. And that's like the meat and potatoes of occupational therapy is that we're helping people do the job of living And there's so much therapeutic value in the things that we just do in our regular day-to-day. It's just all about having the right perspective or the right lens to really see it that way and then to really turn things into even more therapeutic value. So, you know, I was kind of talking about chores earlier and from an OT perspective, that's such a great way to build core strength and upper body strength and to get some heavy work input. But as a parent, you're thinking, oh, well, they're just helping me with the chores, but they're also getting all of those therapeutic things. So there are so many ways to build in sensory development and motor development into the day-to-day, especially in early childhood, because that's really what the early years are all about is that sensory and motor exploration and development. So my encouragement is all always to think of, well, what are just the things that you do during the day? Are you going to the grocery store? Okay, well then have your kiddo hold a basket and they can carry some of the things in there to get some more heavy work if that's the type of input that they need. Are you going on a walk with your family after dinner? Okay, well have them pull the wagon, things like that. Do you give them a bath? Give them two cups. They can scoop and they can pour from cup to cup and now they're working on their bilateral coordination. Oh, you know, you're going to go rake the leaves in the backyard? Okay, you can have them use the rake or you can have them practice using two hands together to scoop up and pick up the leaves and put them into the bag. So those are just a few examples, but if you really think about what you do during your day, there are so many opportunities to work on development just in the day-to-day. And I have a post on my site, 40 Heavy Work Activities for Kids, and so many of them are chore and day-to-day related. Yeah, you can come up with creative, fun things to do, but it's kind of a lot of work, (laughs) you know? And who's going to, like, memorize a list of 20 fun play activities for heavy work? But you just think about what you do during your day and then involve your child, and then you're building that relationship, you're building their independence, and so many other factors that, you know, are such an important part of their development. That's great. I think our listeners really appreciate the make it simple approach, really, versus feeling really overwhelmed by all those amazing suggestions on Pinterest. So thank you so much, Christy. That's wonderful. I'll direct my listeners also to that post on the podcast page for this week's episode. So thank you. That's fantastic. Thanks for being here. See you later. What will you do the rest of your day? Goodbye to the babies. Goodbye to the toddlers. Goodbye, bigger kids. Goodbye, all the siblings. Goodbye to the grown-ups. Goodbye to the singers. Goodbye, I yell it. Goodbye to this music. We laughed and we played. We're getting very clever. This is what counts. Being here together. 
Thanks so much, everyone. For a transcript of the interview or instructions to make and ideas for how to use your very own DIY heavy work activities inspired by Mama OT, you can head over to my website, strengthandwords.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, as well as straight from the website. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate subscribe, and review on any and all of those forums. If you feel inclined to support what we're doing here at Strength and Words, you can do so by visiting my website and clicking on the link to either make a one-time donation or by becoming a patron of Strength and Words on Patreon. I'll be here again next week. 